now. Yo, 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 what it do, what it do. It's your boy, Yo, the poet, and I am here with Mr. Brad Isol. He is definitely another fellow poet. I am happy to definitely be interviewing another poet. It is awesome author and also a storyteller. This is going to be an awesome episode. Everybody, please tune in and make sure that you check out the information that I send for Mr. Branch's um, reach for his contact information. Check it out, check it out, check it out. Mr. Branch, please give us some insight on all the things that you do currently, and then we'll go into more. Good morning, Yalo, my brother. Good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I'm a writer and a poet. Uh, I've been doing this about 25 years. I've written 22 books, um, four nonfiction and 18 fiction. Uh, the poetry is in the fiction section. And so, uh, you know, I write about contemporary adult life and the experiences that we all encounter um, through the people and the events and the circumstances of our choices and the consequences. And so I write about um, emotions and things that adults know about that they've either experienced firsthand or possibly you know, a family member or a friend or somebody at work is going through. But everything that I write about is something that you know we all experience at some point in our lives. Most definitely, that's understandable. So the things that were fiction, can you give us some insight as to how there could have been some form of a connection between how you feel about the topic and what your message is to the audience? Sure. Um, my message is basically about growth, right? How, how do we grow? How do we use our experiences and the things that we go through to become better people, uh, to become better parents, better brothers, better sisters, better adults? Just how do we keep growing forward and break that cycle so many people find themselves in where you know they're making decisions and choices and the consequence of those are negative impact things. And instead of going back through that same cycle again, the next time we have an opportunity to make a choice or decision, you know, how what can I do and how can I use what I have experienced in the past? to make a different and better decision going forward. So that's the fundamental theme, you know, of what I'm trying to do with the writing. In that way, then I use um, fictional stories, um, characters, plots, you know, to draw the reader in. And then that underlying theme is buried somewhere in the story. So the idea is reflective identity. The reader reads the story, right, um, identifies with, one or more of the characters in the story. And then as they go through the story, they're given an opportunity or a peek behind the veil to see what the outcome really about is about the story. You know, it's not just the event, it's the exposure and the experience that then allows the reader to grow. They go, God, I didn't think about it that way, or that ending was different than I expected. And so that's the idea, you know, that's the hook is to draw the reader in with something that's relatable 
and readable and real brief and concise. You know, it's it's not it's not a novel, it's not a long story with some kind of ending that you expected. It's something real concise, real brief, and the point is buried, but it's not hard to find. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. And when you were actually writing this, what um things that what things that have what things happened in your life that would allow you to reflect on the things that you were writing about well that's an interesting question because my writing is not autobiographical it's not really about my experiences now that being said of course there are some stories that i use you know, they're more first person than not. But here's what I do in my writing. I, I'm more of an observe and comment writer. And that means, you know, when I go to a coffee shop and I'm sitting there, I'm sort of paying attention to what's going on around me. So I sort of eavesdrop on other people's conversations or watch their nonverbal tics yeah. that they're using. And what happens is, you know, if you sit perfectly still in a crowded area, people will not even notice you. You sort of be part of the background. And without physical animation, people really don't understand or realize a lot of times that they are next to somebody who can hear them. Yes. That being said, so what I do is I, I eavesdrop or watch people as they're discussing, you know, the important things in their lives. And generally it's, you know, something that's happened to them or something that's happened to somebody they know. Mm-hmm. And people generally love to gossip about other people. <laughs> so by watching and hearing, um, it's not so much stealing what's going on, but those conversations give me triggers that I can then use to develop, you know, a fictional story mm-hmm. based on a real life event that I've seen or heard. And so that's sort of my process is to observe and then comment by writing a story that revolves around whatever the impact or the emotion, you know, that I had seen going on. And, and so that's where I that's where I get most of my story ideas is from the people that I observe or hear in my life in just daily exposure and, and interaction. That is awesome. That is awesome because that's exactly how I do with my poetry. That's why I, I don't do the nonfiction poetry. I do the fiction poetry. Oh man, that's why I don't do um, anything that's fictitious with my poetry. I do things that are relative to life in all of my poetry because I want people to feel like, okay, there's somebody out there that knows how to creatively write what I'm thinking. You know, so I feel like that's an important way to actually um, protrude your artistry on people where they can actually reciprocate that and say, wow, this is this is what I needed. This is that um, voice on my shoulder that was trying to tell me something, but I wasn't able to understand exactly what it was saying. So when you are doing your storytelling, you definitely make me think about how I do my poetry. And that is awesome. A lot of people think that a lot of times when I'm writing, 
it's about me. It's about something that I've experienced, but it's not that. Just like you were stating in the coffee shop, I actually had a um, business meeting with someone in the coffee shop at a Starbucks, as a matter of fact. <laughs> and we were talking, we were talking about some different avenues that they could take to expand their business. So it was pretty cool because I actually got to look around the shop and pay attention to a lot of things that people were doing. And I was able to actually come up with a poem based on that scene that I saw. So that's that's really cool. I really like that. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> a lot of people may not see that well, or understand it, but that is awesome. Well, you know, observation takes patience. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, in today's world, people are really busy all the time. You know, we go through, whether it's at home or at work, life is about relationships. And because we're constantly involved with different people and different subjects and different topics um, for our agenda or their agenda, it, it's very difficult to sort of step back you know, and refocus on something that we're not directly involved in. By that, I mean, you know, in order to observe, you've got to have patience and you've got to take yourself out of the situation mm -hmm. so that it's not about you. It has to be about, you know, whatever it is you're observing or, or the incident or the event that's going on and then how people are responding to the things that are happening in the event. And... That's, you know, so many young poets obviously write about themselves and, and their journey in life, particularly, you know, teenagers and, and that age group, you know, 10 to 20, yes. um, because their, their life experiences up to that point are limited. They can only write about what they know. Mm -hmm. And so you find that most young poets are, are writing about themselves or their experiences and their feelings. <laughs> That's really natural. It's like musicians learning their trade by doing cover songs, right? So, so you, you learn the process by somebody else's example. And so in writing, you're doing the same thing. As a poet, you're writing about what you know. And, and like I say, young poets generally write about themselves and their experiences. As you grow older, if you are still a poet, you know, you start to look at the rest of your world and you start to look outside yourself. And that's where the division comes. You know, most poets write about themselves. Uh, some poets write about other things. And then a few poets write about the commonality and themes and threads of life that we all experience, yes. but not from that first person place. And so the more mature or the poet who's been around and had some life experiences, you start to see the commonality and the lessons of life and the themes of life that everybody is going through. And that's when you realize, okay, I can write a story about a particular emotion or psychological um, you know, impairment or something, whatever the content of the story may be, you know that if you're writing it and it's written well, then it will be received by a lot of different people because we're all in that growth zone of 
you know, the challenge of moving ahead, becoming a better person, becoming a better um, part of our community and our, our relationships. And so that's what happens with the older poet, I find, is that you can extrapolate more themes and then thereby, you know, affect more people or have impact with a, a greater number of readers because those experiences have been experienced by more and more people yes. the longer you live. Yes, that is so. Oh my goodness. Well said. That is, that is so true. That is so true. I love it. So, okay, earlier you mentioned um, about relationships and and life. So define what is a relationship to you. Well, our relationships are the interactions that we have with other people. And, you know, at home or in our families, that's the people who we care about the most um, or declare that we love and care about the most. And so those relationships have a different level of intimacy than our other relationships, you know, at work. We have different kinds of relationships with our friends. We have, you know, a little bit different relationship with acquaintances. So it depends on, you know, where on the spectrum that person falls within our lives, what they mean to us, what our interaction is, and what the results of our interactions may be. So we're always operating on these different levels as we go through life. Everyone that comes into our life has an agenda, right? I mean, we all wake up and begin our day and we have agendas as we go through our days, things that we want to accomplish, um, things that we want to do in our lives that move us forward. And the people that we interact with all day long or the ones who are in that same place. We've got an agenda in our life. Well, they've got an agenda in their life. So when we have these interactions with people, we are both trying to move our life forward according to our agenda, right? What are my goals? What are my ambitions? What are my directions? <clears throat> and that's where, you know, the interaction and sometimes the conflict comes because I want something from you or your assistance in some way, and you want the same, you know, for yourself from me. And that's what the, the interaction involves or sort of bargaining or negotiating. You know, how can I help you? How can you help me? And what does that look like? And so for our family relationships or our intimate relationships, you know, that goes much deeper than our business or career relationship. But it's always the same process. You know, how can I move forward? Who in my life do I come in contact and that can help me do that? And how can I help them do that? Yes. And that's what determines, you know, how deep that relationship goes. If it's if it's an acquaintance or, or a friend or, you know, a real good friend, the deeper we are involved with that person, the more we reveal of ourselves, right? The more vulnerable we are usually willing to become as long as the relationship feeds upon itself and we both continue to grow. So, you know, that's ultimately what a great relationship 
looks like is that both of us are, are contributing to it and both of us are getting a reward out of them. Um, then you've got, you know, the other end of the spectrum where we come into contact with people that we may or may not want to, you know, share time with or do business with. And, and that's just what life is about is these constant influx and egress events of what does this relationship look like and what does it mean to me? And they're different depending on, you know, where we are in our life and the people we are involved with in our lives. But life fundamentally is all about relationships. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> My goodness. This is, um, Mr. Burns, this is so, so awesome. And it's, it's liberating talking to you because these are things that I actually discussed during um my YTP Gentleman's Club, which means Yellow the Poet, the Gentleman's Club that I have, Virtual Gentleman's Club on Facebook. And a lot of times, even in person, I'm talking to people about what relationships really are because the moment you mention a relationship, and I ask people before I even go into anything as far as being therapeutic or trying to help them, I ask them, what is your definition of a relationship? And on average, the average person states that a relationship is based on being a couple. And we know better than to make the word itself, just the meaning itself, um, be based around two people. Because it's not just based around two people. And as you stated, there are various types of relationships throughout life there are various people that we come in contact with throughout life but just coming in contact with someone whether you know them or not that's a relationship because there is something that drew you to that person there is something that at some point you were trying to learn or trying to get that person to learn from you once you started communication, which is the key to anything, any relationship, once you started communication, you started building a relationship. It's not about how long or how short it is. It's about relationships <laughs> because not all relationships have the same time span. And that time span makes a difference. But at the same time, the real thing that makes more of a difference than that time span, what you learn, what you teach. <laughs> that's a, that's a, those are the bigger things, the bigger keys, rather than worrying about how long or how short that relationship is. Long or short, as far as couples are concerned, that's when it makes a difference. But when it's outside of that couple, that family, and things of that nature. It's not about long or short. It's about what you learn, what you reciprocate, what you give. That's more so. Right. Well, it short. <laughs> I agree. The quality of the relationship is what determines its longevity. Mm -hmm. You know, if you are growing in that relationship 
with whomever it might be in, in any part of your life, then you're going to continue investing with that person or persons and in hopes of, you know, both of you growing, just like you said. And, and so the quality of the relationship will determine its longevity. And some, some of them, you know, you could have a, a short relationship that's quality in terms of its production and its um, resources and what you get out of it doesn't have to, there's not a direct correlation, but if it's a quality relationship, then it's maybe somebody that you want to do something else with in the future. Say you're in a business you know, situation and uh, you're in a two week relationship with somebody and, and the results of that relationship are beneficial to both of you, uh, you may want to go back into another situation with that same person because the quality was there and the results were beneficial. Um, and, you know, you do another job with them or another project with them. And if you're successful in that, then that gives you the impetus to do yet another project with them. So the more you're working with them, the more you begin to learn more about them as a person. Mm -hmm. And if, if that, you know, is quality also, then a friendship can develop, you know, um, an intimate relationship can develop. So the quality is probably, in most cases, going to determine the longevity. Yep. And of course, we are all searching for good relationships. Yes. Um, yes. You know, we're blessed. We're blessed by the Lord above that innately we recognize loving versus unloving behavior, and not. I don't mean that in a in a love situation. We automatically recognize. Uh, appropriate behavior as well as inappropriate behavior and as long as we don't have a mask on for whatever reason then when we see inappropriate behavior that's probably a relationship that we don't want to get involved with exactly um you know exactly so that that's that's the key that's the key for me to having quality relationships if it gives appropriate behavior, then yeah, that's someplace that I want to be. Yes. If it's something that produces negative or inappropriate behavior, you know, that's not where I want to be because I know that the outcome is not going to be beneficial. Exactly. So, okay. In, in a, what we call a toxic relationship, would you say that the person on the receiving end of the toxicity would be a um, would become more so an inanimate object rather than being a person. And I mean that metaphorically. You know what I'm saying? I mean that metaphorically. But a lot of times when people are in relationships, these these couples relationships is what I'm specifically talking about. They um, are in an abusive relationship be it verbal, be it physical, or be it both. And sometimes they tend to lose themselves, but they forget that at the end of the day, it's not about pleasing the abuser. It's about making the proper adjustments or the proper changes to getting you back to being the person that you originally are. So would you say... Yeah, but... Go ahead. Those are those are difficult situations, you know, abusive relationships, toxic relationships. 
there's so many variables involved in that. Just as there's a lot of variables involved in good relationships, but in negative relationships, you know, we bring a lot of old baggage with us as we grow in age. You know, we've got more experiences. We've also had more successes and more failures. We've also had more rejections. And how we handle that within ourselves is the core. You know, a lot of people are, are continually dealing with insecurities. You know, I'm too short, I'm too fat, I'm too bald, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not smart enough. And as long as we are in that place of being insecure, we can more easily be made vulnerable to those people who are manipulators or abusers or um, toxic personalities. You know, they're only in it for what they can get out of the relationship, regardless of the harm they cause. And, and so many times, you know, we have people who are in those kind of relationships and for a variety of reasons, they can't get out of them. You know, from an emotional standpoint, psychological standpoint, economic standpoint, you know, what keeps those relationships together is a lot of different variables and factors. Um, you know, if, if, if you're in a toxic relationship, you've got to find a way out because ultimately, you know, it's dangerous. And, but there's so many things involved, you know, in making that break. And I'm, I'm not the one to comment on that. I, you know, I'm not <laughs> a professional clinician or therapist, but you, we all recognize appropriate and inappropriate or loving, unloving behavior. You know it when you see it and you know it when you experience it. You know, yeah. when you say somebody in the grocery store, a parent who's mistreating or abusing a child, that's not appropriate behavior. Right. And it, it's very recognizable to everybody, including yeah. the child, right? Yeah. And that's not healthy for that child's development or their future. So these are all things that, you know, we need to look at ourselves, but we need to get the kind of help we might need to correct the situation. If you're with an abuser and they continue to abuse you, that's not somewhere you want to be. You've got to get out of that relationship somehow. The sad thing is the abusers, you know, are usually so hardcore. They want to control the situation. They want to control the other person. It's all about power and control. Just like, you know, professionals say that rape is about power and control. It's not about the physical act. It's about something much deeper. So toxic relationships, you know, are very difficult to handle. You know, as poets, what we try to do is alert through that kind of a scenario in our work yes. that there is a light at the, at the end of the tunnel. You need to go to that light and yes. get out of that darkness. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. I totally agree with you. Totally, 100% agree with you. I actually had a conversation with someone just um, yesterday about things like that. And what was asked of me is, how do I um, regain the status of oneself? And my thing was, firstly, you would definitely need to get help. But due to 
just as you explained, the type of situation. And in this case, it was emotional as well as the financial in this case. So I explained that gradually start doing the things that you used to do. Start doing the things that and stop blaming yourself for the other person's actions. Only blame yourself for your actions and what you allowed to happen to you. Those are the only actions that you can actually blame yourself for. But at the end of the day, it's all about how you continuously work on self, do self-preservation and get self back to life because it's like you allow in a situation to take life from you and it's not fair to you, nor is it fair to, to the person that you feel is abusing you. Because at this in, in this particular relationship, there was no physical, everything was more mental and verbal. So, okay, I'm I'm glad that it's not physical, but the mental and the verbal can be just as strong. <laughs> and I had to get, yeah. get that person to actually realize that. Yeah, without a doubt, you know, the the systems, the legal systems that we have in place now have a little more teeth for those who are in physical abusive relationships. You know, if you're being physically abused, there's normally or generally um, evidence of that, physical evidence of that. And at least the systems can use that, you know, for helping you. The, the mental, the verbal the psychological abuse are just as dangerous and just as lethal uh, without the physical evidence. And, and so, you know, people who are in these, the first thing I think people have to, you know, a lot of times what happens in any situation, we make a choice, there's a consequence. It's not a positive consequence and we end up suffering somehow. Okay, when that happens for too many people, um, that failure is something that we internalize. And instead of trying to correct it or tweak it to be something else, we go to a place of beating ourselves up about the failure. And that's what you had just described. You know, that's the worst thing we can do. We can acknowledge that we weren't successful. But then to go to a place and start beating ourselves up about the failure or the rejection, that just keeps us in that place. And as long as we're beating ourselves up about it, there's no way that we can start to grow from it. So that's the first thing is, is don't go to that place and beat yourself up about it. If you failed, if you were rejected, okay, Let's look at what happened, you know, where the weakness was and try and correct the weakness and not be drugged down into that deeper place where I start thinking, well, you know, I, I had no control and therefore I'm the victim. And because I'm the victim, there's nothing I can do. You know, yeah. that victimization, um, as long as we're in that place, there's no way that we can grow or become stronger. So that's the first step is, is not to beat ourselves up about something. Let's look at, you know, if it was a success, let's duplicate it. If it was a failure, let's try and find out why it failed and then come up with a different response the next time. Mm -hmm. um, exactly. Exactly. I totally agree with you. So I'm going to switch it up a little bit. 
I want you to tell me something about um, maybe one, two, maybe three of the poems that you felt were very impactful and powerful in their messages. And what are the messages in those poems? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, well, let me suggest this. You know, I have a YouTube channel mm -hmm. and I have about uh, 350 different poems on the YouTube channel awesome. that are free to read. You just, you know, go go there and start reading. And um, I've got poems as short as two words. Uh -huh. um, the title of it is Comedic One-Liners. Uh -huh. And the poem is Levity, Brevity. You know, in my poetry, what I try to do is tell a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end in as brief or concise as presentation as possible. So that the, the, poet ha the poet, poem has impact, but it doesn't necessarily have to be long in terms of stanzas. You know, it's, it's interesting that so many people shy away from poetry. Poetry is the original literary form. It's been around since people lived in caves and told stories around fires at night, right? That's how tribal people that didn't have uh, written language, that's how they communicated to each other and to their children about the lessons of life and how you learn. So poetry is um, has been with us since the beginning and is with us today. And it, it's a shame that so many people shy away from it. You know, they, you say, well, do you like poetry? Are you interested in poetry? No, it's too old, too archaic, too staid, right? It's something from uh, two, 300 years ago. Well, the fact is poetry, lyrical poetry and rhyming poetry is the way that most children learn. You know, yeah. if, you, if you look at um, all of the primer stories in readers, it's all about rhyming stanzas. And th that repetition of rhyming is melodic and it's lyrical to our brains. It's something that we pick up very easily. So most children actually have a foundation in reading by reading rhyming stories or lyrical stories. Yes. You know, if you listen to many commercials um, on television or the internet, you know, the background music that they use is all poetic. You know, the lyrics are all poetry and rhyming. Um, it's it's just and it makes an indelible impression on our brains and makes it easier for us to learn. So you're still being exposed to poetry today. Uh, it's it's still there. It's just a form that's being used a little bit different than it was, you know, two or three, four hundred years ago. But it's been around, you know, since the beginning, and it's actually one of the few. It's the only literary form you know, that fits in 140 characters or less. Yes. yes. There's no story that you can post on Twitter that makes sense unless it's a poem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people don't realize that quotes come from poetry. Rap came from poetry. A lot of the music that we listen to today comes from poetry. So the fact that you've been trying to get away from poetry within itself 
is not going to happen. It's, it's ridiculous to even assume the effort just because someone put a different name on it or a different spin on it doesn't make it any less poetry. <laughs> in regards to how you... Yeah, it's a, form that, it, it's a form that's with us and, and here to stay. It's just what the label is we use. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> that is awesome. I I love the whole thing, the way that you're doing your thing with the poetry, the way you're doing your thing with the storytelling. I I truly love it. And please, by all means, don't give it up. Don't don't shy away from it because it's not worth taking away um, something that is so important to humanity, to life itself, because there's not enough of us out here doing it. It's really not. There's a lot, don't get me wrong, but there's not enough of us out here doing it because I feel like poetry is something that can actually take us to the next level in life, regardless of what we're doing. If we're computer scientists, if we're um, politicians, police officers, regardless of what we're doing, um, I feel like poetry can take us to the next level in life. And it's all because it's schematics it's all because of its scientific approach its um approach to communication its approach to just basic everyday life poetry has something to do with all the things that we do um when we talk about um primitive times the way that a lot of them did things was poetic it was not there was no other rhythmic pattern that was followed as strongly as poetry. There's none. And even to this day, those same rhythmic patterns are following us today, just with different labels, like we said at first, just with different labels, different names, different titles, um, another person expressing it a different way, but it hasn't gone anywhere and it's not. So it's inevitable to try and get away from it because <laughs> it's one of those things that's here to stay. It's like a planet. You got the planet and you got poetry. Neither of them are going anywhere. So <laughs> don't try to get away from it. <laughs> well, the universe, the universe runs on mathematics and mathematics is the foundation of music. Mm -hmm. And music is the one expression that people automatically identify with immediately, mm -hmm. you know, even in the womb, but during your whole life, music is the one creative expression that can literally move someone into physical or mental action just by hearing it, even for the first time. Mm -hmm. Poetry is, is the expression of music in written form. Mm -hmm. And like you said, that's why so many songs, you know, use rhyming methods. The great thing about poetry as a literary form, as a literary expression, is that now it doesn't have to be rhyming. You know, it can be free verse. It can be blank. It can be open. It can be a variety of actual written methods in order to express the emotion or the feeling. And that's why everyone can be a poet, even if you're not a novelist or, you know, a, a lyrics writer. If you are, have emotion, you can put that down on paper. 
So yeah. everybody's got that poet seed within them. It's just a matter of, are you willing to sit down and express your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions? This is what diaries are all about, you yeah. know, and personal journals. That's a poet who just hasn't blossomed from the seed yet. Yes. Yeah. Those are all forms of primitive poetry, you know, writing our expressions, writing our feelings is the seedling of the poet. Yes, so indeed. everyone is a poet in waiting. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so in essence, uh, Mr. Branch, what are your top five takeaways that you want the world to know about you and how you how you work. Wow, um, the top five takeaways. Well, first of all, be honest with yourself. You know, in um, Hamlet, Polonius says to his son Laertes, "To thine own self be true," and that's the first thing. The second thing is. The fundamental essence, the core lesson of life is be prepared. Be prepared for success. Be prepared for failure. You know, be prepared for rejection. Be prepared no matter what the situation. Think about all of the outcomes that are possible and prepare for each one. Then, of course, there's the one about plan your work and work your plan. If you don't have a plan, then you probably don't have a vision. You know, a lot of times today we hear a lot of podcasts and, and people talking about manifestation, manifesting your future. If you can't see that future in your mind's eye, then it can never come to pass. Because if you can see the future, then you will recognize the markers and the signposts along the way that will get you to that manifestation. So you've got to have that dream, but you've got to know what that dream looks like in real life. If you know what it looks like, then you'll recognize the markers that will take you there. The fourth one, which should actually be the first one is get spiritually grounded. If you don't have a relationship with God, you're missing out on the key essence of life. Get spiritually grounded, okay? And the last one would be, would be um, come from your higher self and treat others the way you want to be treated. Powerful. <laughs> Very powerful. I like that. I like that. <laughs> so um, in one of the things about being spiritually grounded I know that there are a lot of people who don't particularly believe in one particular religion, but I would say to piggyback off of what Mr. Branch said, whatever your belief is, get grounded. That's one of the most important things that a person can ever do in their life is to get grounded, get spiritually grounded. Regardless of what your belief is, get spiritually grounded. Because that's one of the most important things that you can ever do is mental 
and it's a mental that becomes physical and that physical at some point becomes your way of life. And once you reciprocate that in that format, you then allow yourself an opportunity to progress and grow in your life. <laughs> Amen. I agree with that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so another thing, Mr. Burns, before we go, I also want to know where are some of the places that we can actually get information from about you? But before you answer that question, I have uh, another question. You wrote about um, the exploding human, relationship repair, spirituality, and laundry. So uh, well, I guess it's by Bob Nickman. Can you give us some insight about that? Because I'm definitely going to direct people to your website, but that I found that topic very um, intriguing and I want to know more about it. Tell me again, what what topic you're breaking up? The Exploding Human. It talks about- Yeah, that's another podcast I did with Bob Nickman. Um, it was really sort of a laid back conversation. Um, we kind of went all over the place. So- <laughs> I, I do I do a handful of different topics on podcasts. Um, two of them are about relationships, you know, uh, changing your relationship, improving your relationship. And the one you first mentioned is seven steps that you can do to repair a relationship. Mm -hmm. I also do a couple of topics on spiritual growth and, and grounding. Um, and then I do one about, you know, life career balance. So we just sort of touched on all of those in that podcast. Generally, when I'm on a podcast, we focus on one and mm -hmm. go a little bit deeper. Um, but that's, you know, those are areas that I'm working with people on or, or invited in podcasts to talk. It's fundamental about, okay, we're all in relationships. How do I become a better person? Mm -hmm. How do I become a better partner in my relationships, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, whether it's with my God? Mm -hmm. That's cool. I like that. I like that a lot because more people need to understand the passion that they have inside of a relationship can also carry onto that person that you look upon as your companion. It can carry that way. But if you don't have an understanding, if you're not trying to build an actual relationship, long-lasting relationship like we talked about before, um, then it's time to move forward with someone else that is trying to be on the same page that you're on, basically. And you have to be strong enough, willing enough, and you also have to be real with yourself in understanding that everybody is not meant for you to have a long-term relationship with. Everybody is not meant for you to be in, in an intimate relationship with. But once you find that special someone, you will know. You don't, because it's inevitable. There's, there's nothing, there's no doubts, there's none of that stuff exists once you find that right someone. It's not easy, but it's there. <laughs> well, I think, you know, to build on that, Yalo, 
the nugget that you've described is real simple. When you go from one relationship to the next relationship, think about the things in the last relationship that were red flags, mm -hmm. the things that broke the relationship up. And once you're cognizant of those, then in the next relationship, as soon as you recognize those, see them for what they are. If it didn't work before because of something that was said or done, then when you start to see that in the new relationship, that's the time to question or possibly leave before you get deeper. Yes. You know, by recognizing this is this is the point of having a spiritual relationship with God. And most people don't know it or don't understand it. When you've got a spiritual relationship with God, and I'll speak to Christians because I'm a Christian, when you've got a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, he says to us, he will send his spirit to be with us, to live with us. So the spirit of truth comes to dwell within our soul to be with our spirit. Once we have that spirit of truth with us, we can start to see truth in our life, in our world. And the minute you understand, you see the truth, you automatically see the lies and the fabrications and the falsehoods. And the veil is lifted and you can no longer buy into the lies and the falsehoods, you know, through ignorance by saying, well, I know this isn't right, but it'll all work out for me anyway, and I'll go ahead and do it. Once you've got God's spirit with you, you automatically see the truth. And when you see the truth, you automatically recognize the falsehood and the lies. Then the choice is which direction you're going to go. Are you going to go the truthful way or are you going to continue to live with the falsehoods and lies? And when you go from one relation to the next relationship, either in business you know, or in an intimate relationship, if you recognize the truth, and you see the lies or the pending abuse or the pending toxic toxicity because you already know what that looks like, that's not a place you want to be. Exactly. You, know, you politely extricate yourself from the relationship and move on. By knowing the things that you don't want in your life, you'll automatically recognize the good things that will be in your life. Yes, indeed. Pay attention. Pay attention, get spiritually grounded, and you'll start to get on the path that will change your life for the better. Yes, definitely. I totally agree with you. I totally, totally agree with you. And I love that. Uh, you definitely have a powerful way of deliverance, and I am definitely intrigued by I want to, and I will actually follow your um pages your podcast because i definitely want to get to see more about what other powerful messages you convey to the people that's i'm really loving it and i'm want to be the first to tell you that this has been a powerful interview and i love it <laughs> i really do love it. thank you Ayla. thank you i appreciate the opportunity to share with your listeners let me say one thing before we stop because i know we're getting close mm -hmm. if our conversation today has helped you or intrigued you or made you think a little bit more, do me a favor. Go to the site you're listening to this podcast on, 
give Yellow a rating and a review so he'll keep bringing on guests who mean something to you. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mr. Branch. And to my viewers, I'll say this, and I mean this with the most sincerity. Please, by all means, check out Mr. Branch's work. He's definitely said some powerful things here today, and I'm sure that there are more powerful things, more deliveries, more communications that you yourself can actually use in your life. Take these things that he's telling you and run with these things for the rest of your life and allow yourself to definitely hit the like, subscribe, and bring Mr. Branch more followers so that other people too can get these messages and do something that could possibly bring restitution to oneself. Thank you so much, Mr. Branch. This is awesome. And I love it. And I will not change anything about it. This has been a blessing. <laughs> Thank you. Great to be with you. Anytime I can serve, just let me know. Yes. Thank you so much. Please, everybody, let us know, Mr. Branch, where we can actually follow you. Websites, uh, podcasts, um, social media, where can we follow you? Yeah, thanks for asking. Just real simple. Everything's in my name. So just Google my name, Branch Isolay, and it'll give you the links to my books, to my website, to my YouTube channel. Uh, you only need one name, and that's it, and it'll get you all the things that I've written and talked about. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mr. Branch. Branch Iso, it's been 100% a pleasure. Thank you so, so much. Peace and blessings to you, my brother. Be out of here. <laughs>